Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The word of the Lord. Richard McCorris, please report to the principal's office. I never had the opportunity to hear those words over the loudspeaker, but I'm sure it's bringing back some memories for some of you this morning, that when you hear the words, report to the principal's office, and you got to stay in class for the next 30 minutes or 15 minutes, however long it is, what is that 30 minutes like? Pure restlessness. Because what's going on in your mind? Oh, did they find out what I did? Or what kind of news do they have to deliver to me? And where does your mind always go in the unknown? Worst case scenario. Oh, I'm assuming someone's going to think this. They've already called my mother. Thing. <laughs> your mind automatically goes there and starts to live there in the worst case scenario, right? So, so as you have this impending news that you are aware of, you could say that you're living in a state of restlessness or a state of stress. How many of you would like to sit in class every day with that news? Nobody wants to do that because it, it causes a state of chaos. So, so think of that state of mind, the one waiting to visit the principal's office, and then think for a second the picture given to us in Psalm 131 where it says this child, this weaned child, is with its mother. What kind of picture comes to mind? A picture of contentment. A picture of, I don't need anything else. You see, when a weaned child is with their mother, they're not grabbing for more. They're not whining for more. They're simply just enjoying existence. Two vastly different pictures. One of contentment, peace, enjoyment. One of pure restlessness, stress, and unknown. Well, this morning, as you prepare for the coming storm, or as you're living in the midst of a storm right now, what picture best describes you? The picture of the young child, or the picture of waiting for the principal's office? This morning, we want to dig in a little bit and say, how can we be like the young child in the midst of suffering? How can we be like the young child and have contentment in the midst of bad stuff? So today we're just going to take a little bit of a journey, look at some practical things of how we can rejoice in the midst of suffering, how we can have contentment in the midst of suffering. Because this morning, everybody here is going to face some bad news, or you're in the midst of bad news. So how can we rejoice in the midst of it? And the first thing that we have to remember is that we have to remember the source and focus on the source of our joy. If we remember the source of our joy, which is Jesus himself, we're able to stay rejoicing in the midst of suffering because we know that the suffering can't rob us of the source of our joy. But then not only do we have to remember the source, we've got to stay focused on the source. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Notice why he's saying to rejoice. Rejoice, why? In the Lord. In other words, he's saying here, 
the source of your joy or the reason that you can celebrate today is because you have the Lord. Paul doesn't say, hey, look around you and celebrate all of the good stuff going on. You see, the apostle Paul was in prison when he penned this letter. And even in the midst of the prison, he says, rejoice. Why? Because the prison has not stolen the source of his joy. He realizes that the source of his joy is Jesus, and no trial can rob you of that source. So in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, it's written to us that when you face many trials, it uses this word, you should rejoice exceedingly. Okay, logically that makes no sense. In the midst of a trial, rejoice exceedingly? How can someone say that? Well, the reason the author says that is that because the trial cannot rob us of the source of our joy. Actually, what the trial does is it refines us to cling to the source even tighter. So that's why in Scripture it talks about trials can be a blessing because as you go through the trial, it just wears out all of the stuff that doesn't matter and it forces you to cling to that which will last. Jesus, who is the source of our joy. But we got to keep our focus on Jesus, which is hard to do. There's a, how many advertisements do you see every single day? Our minds are warped with information and pictures. How do we keep our focus on Jesus? Well, it begins by putting our focus on Jesus in the down times. So that when the rough times come, we're prepared. I do a little bit of fishing, not a lot of fishing. But even though I only do a little bit of fishing, I'm a pretty good fisherman. Actually, you could call me a master caster. <laughs> However, my partner struggles a little bit with the casting. And so as we kind of fish along the shoreline, you know, those people that are just letting loose with the casting, what's going to ultimately happen? Your lure gets stuck in a tree. Okay, so... My partner, you know, I'm kind of keeping everything nice with my casting, landing it perfectly, bringing it back in. But my partner's getting stuck in trees and then you'll always say to me, hey, my lure's in a tree. We got to go get my lure. Well, what happens after you get your lure stuck in a tree? I've just seen my partner do this. It goes like this. Well, then the lure snaps off, stays in the tree, and the fish line comes back to you. Now what? You lost your lure. What's the best way to find your lure? Keep your eye on the branch or the tree that it's in before you start driving to shore to find it. Because what happens when you get to the shoreline? All of the trees and the branches look exactly the same. Right? So the person who puts the lure in the tree says to their partner, hey, can you help me a little bit? But the partner is absolutely no help. Well, what does the tree look like? Uh, a couple branches and maybe some leaves. Oh, that's every branch. You see, if you're focused on the branch as you drive into shore, what happens? You're able to find the lure. But when you get right up in the middle of it, it's almost impossible to find the right branch or the tree. The time to look for the branch is when you put the lure in it, not when you drive over and you're in the middle of all of the trees. The same is true of suffering. When we're in the midst of difficult time, is not the time to start looking around going, oh, where's the source of my joy? Where's my strength and my contentment? you got to have it before you get into it. Because when you're in the middle of it, things get crazy. Weird stuff starts happening in how you feel and how you think. So you got to have it beforehand. Not only that, but you got to have someone there to point it out to you. So when you say to your partner, hey, my lure's in that branch right over there. 
your partner can keep their eye on the branch as they drive the boat in, and then you can point, hey, it's right here. You got a second set of eyes. That's why we need other people around us as followers of Christ, so that when we're in the midst of a struggle and we're having a hard time seeing the source, somebody objective can come along and point us right back to the source. If we want to experience joy in the midst of storm, we've got to remember the source of our joy and keep our focus on that source. Everybody here this morning has probably used the phrase, my pride and joy. You said it's about someone or something. Oh, this is my pride and joy. We know what that means. That something gives us great strength and something causes us to rejoice. Well, the scriptures tell us that Jesus should be our pride and joy. The psalmist declared, declare, the Lord is my strength. The apostle Paul declares, rejoice in the Lord. And something that is your pride or joy gets what? Attention. You would never say something's your pride and joy that doesn't get any attention from you. So if Jesus is your pride and joy, guess what? You have to give Jesus some attention. You got to give Jesus some time so that you can experience his greatness and his goodness. If Jesus is going to be your pride and joy, Jesus needs some attention. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. So remember the source and focus on the source if we're going to be joyful in the midst of suffering. But let's be honest for a second. That joy does not come easy in the midst of suffering. There's a process of grieving. And so I want to spend a few moments this morning talking about something that we just don't talk about in the church. Because in the church, we've got to do this. We've got to be happy on Sunday morning and energetic because guess what? We need everybody to come back next week. So therefore, it's always got to be upbeat. It's always got to be happy because it's always got to be good. So you got to keep everybody focused on that and everybody comes back. What you miss out on then is what? The reality of life. The reality is this. Everybody might have their happy face on today. Everybody's not happy. So how do we grieve? How we do go, we go through this process of suffering. I want to look first this morning at what would be considered the normal process. So if we look at the world around us of how people would normally grieve, the first thing that usually happens when something bad happens is we enter into a season of denial. We just, we just lie to ourselves and those around us of how bad it really is. And that denial usually leads to isolation. Why? Because it's easier to deny as long as you're isolated. If you have other voices in you, they're like, no, 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 it's this. But if you isolate yourself, you don't have to hear those other voices. So the first thing we do oftentimes is deny and isolate. And then what that brings about is anger and resentment. Anger towards someone, anger towards self, or anger towards God. And ultimately, that anger then leads towards resentment where we're in a constant state of disappointment with God or with someone else. So after that anger and that resentment, it just clings to us and stays with us. What we begin to do is we begin a process of searching. So now we're living in a state of resentment and anger. What we begin to do is start to search for things that give us a sense of peace, which then lead to this thing of clinging. What I mean by that is this. Something, you find something, and it's like, wow, I can just enjoy myself during this. What happens? You keep going back to that because it's an escape for you. So now all of a sudden you're clinging to something because as you cling to that, you can kind of push down the anger and the resentment. That's why a lot of times during a grieving process, 
people can sometimes start to struggle with addiction. Maybe not to alcohol or drugs, but to other stuff, because what happens is, is they find something that can be an out for them, and they keep going back to that well. But yet they still haven't dealt with the anger and the resentment. And then ultimately what it leads to is a life of depression and alienation. A life of constantly being under the dark, feeling under the dark, heart, mind under the dark, and then wanting to alienate ourselves from certain things and certain people because then we don't have to deal with the situation. So that's kind of the end result is alienation and depression. But these things can all happen intertwined and it just keeps happening over and over again. That's the normal pattern, and many of us, even as Christians, we find ourselves in this pattern very often. But I would contend this morning that if we look at the different Psalms, and if we look at the life of Jesus, there should be something that's not a normal process, but something that's a healthy process. So I just want to talk for a few minutes, what's a healthy process of dealing with grief? The very first thing is that we acknowledge the problem, and we're honest with ourselves others, and God about the problem. This is where it begins. And so this directly goes against denial and isolation because in honesty, you don't isolate yourself, but you find yourself with someone who you can be honest with. The very first thing that some of us need to do today is simply find someone and tell them, hey, I'm not good. We need to acknowledge the pain. God's not afraid of your pain this morning. God's not afraid of how you're feeling today. You can acknowledge it to him. This is the very first step in a healthy grieving process is to be honest about it and acknowledge it. And then we need to enter into a season of lament. Now, lament is not something we talk about every day. Lament is a a biblical term, theological term that we mean when we say praying to God where we're honest about our reality while also trusting in the goodness of God. So a lament usually goes something like this. God, I'm torqued off. You let my enemies encompass me. God, why did you let my enemies overcome me? God, I want to walk away right now. I feel horrible. You're just straight honesty with God about you're upset with God. You're also straight honest about what you're feeling. And then after that, it's also in the process of saying, God, I need your help here in the midst of being angry with you. And God, I'm just trusting in your goodness that's revealed throughout all of Scripture. So you're making known to God reality, while at the same time is you're doing it under the umbrella of God's goodness and God's graciousness. So you'll see the Psalms, for example. If you're taking notes, write down a couple of these Psalms. Psalm 13, Psalm 22, Psalm 39. They might be examples of a lament where you see the psalmist is declaring anger or doubt, and then you'll also see them, though, declare some trust or about the goodness of God. That psalm was inspired by God. God's not upset that one of his followers said those things. I would encourage you this morning, use that psalm as a model for how you can lament. If you don't lament well, you're stuffing really well. You know what I mean by stuffing? Somebody asks how you're doing and constantly saying, fine. You just keep stuffing down that you're actually doing bad. How many of you have experienced with this with your children or yourself in cleaning your bedrooms? Right? Mom and dad are going to be home in a few minutes. What do you do? Everything in the closet. Okay, it works. One time, oh, mom and dad are tired. They get home. I just want to go to bed. Looks good. You go to bed. Next time, oh, same thing. Stuff. 
what happens after you stuff for a little while? The doors don't close. And then when you open the door, what happens? The damage is even greater. The punishment is even more. But there's also something else that happens. You lose a lot of good stuff in that closet while you're stuffing stuff in that closet. So as I'm filling that closet with stuff, guess what? I can no longer find the good stuff that was previously in that closet. The same thing is happening to us spiritually and emotionally. When we're stuffing stuff back down rather than acknowledging it, it's not just putting it away for a later time, it's actually diminishing the good stuff that's going on in our lives. You can either stuff it or you can lament it. Try that one at work tomorrow and you'll have an opportunity to witness because they'll be like, lament what? You can stuff it or you can lament it. Lament is the healthy process that God has laid out for us. So we're called to honestly acknowledge what's going on. We're called to enter into a season of lament. And then we're also then enter into a season of processing and re-engaging with the new normal. Whenever something bad happens, the honest reality is that there's going to be a new normal. Things aren't going to be the way they used to be. So in a healthy process, what happens is you begin to re-engage with that new normal. People help you with that. That's what I mean by processing. There's people there to help create a new normal. Usually what happens is this. People don't want the new normal, so that's when they go to themselves and begin to isolate. That's also then begins when they begin to cling to certain things rather than enter into a new normal that over the long haul could be a lot healthier. So part of the healthy process is allowing people to create a new normal with you, re-engaging with them. Ultimately, when you go through the process of grieving then, is that we get to experience comfort because we've lamented. God's got a gift for us. So rather than being in a spirit of darkness and depression, we're actually in a spirit of comfort where we've received peace and contentment and joy. And what this means then is now we become a contributing member to the community. So a person that goes through a natural process usually becomes an island unto themselves. Because they become unhealthy, no one wants to be with them. But when you go through a healthy process, you can end by being a con contribution to the community. What I mean by that is this. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about, blessed be the God of our Father who has given us all comforts and then it finishes by saying, so that we may extend the same comfort to others. Some of you have gone through some bad stuff. And praise God, you've been comforted. You know what you need to do now? You need to comfort someone else who's going through the same bad stuff. You need to become a contributing member of the community. You know you're entering into health when you begin to contribute again to the community around you. There's massive differences between these two processes. One process is really isolation and self and lying throughout the whole thing. One process is open to community and honest acknowledgement of what's going on. This morning, most of us would do well to open ourselves to a little more community and honest acknowledgement of what's going on. But now we get dangerous here for a second because if your mind is anything like mine, you kind of go, oh, 
check mark, I'll do this, I acknowledge, I'll do the lament, and you kind of work through the process, right? Make it linear. We have to remember this might not be a linear process. That's why the author, David Paulison, who's a Christian counselor that's written a lot of stuff on this, says the following about the stages of grieving. He says, please always remember that these stages are a relational process, not sequential steps. Grieving and growing is not a neat, nice package. It isn't a tidy procedure. Grieving and growing is messy because life is messy. Moving through hurt to hope is a two steps forward, one step backwards endeavor. We don't conquer a stage and never return to it. When you think of the, the processes in the stage, you think of it linear, you actually begin to enter in another problem to the process. And that problem is guilt. When you think of the process as linear, what happens is, is when you get to the lament and you and you got to go back to the honesty stage of telling someone else what's going on, you start to feel guilty like, I thought I've already been through that. I, I should be over that by now, I know. When in reality, it's not linear. It's just a big circle that can go in a variety of different directions. So we shouldn't feel bad if we're in the process of engaging in a new normal, if we have to spend a little more time with a lament. It's not A plus B equals C. It's a, it's a process. It's a lifestyle of living in it. This morning, we got to get comfortable living in the process and allowing others around us to live in the process. You see, this can have just as much power for you personally as it can for how you're helping someone else. So as you're helping someone else, are you saying to them, hey, you should be through that stage by now? Are you allowing them to kind of work through the stages at different speeds and go back if needed? God's laid out an example for us, so many examples in his word this morning of how we can go through this process. We just have to be willing to do so. So today, we've got a simple question. Do we want to be comforted? Jesus gives a promise in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the question is very simple. Are you going to take Jesus at his word? Jesus promises that those who mourn will be comforted. So will you mourn today? Will you honestly acknowledge and lament and process? Will you mourn so that you can receive the promise of God's comfort? Let's take Jesus at his word and allow ourselves to receive the promise of comfort. So, so how, what can we do today? What can I practically do this next week to pursue joy and start to move towards this place of contentment? And there's one practical step that I want to lay before you today that all of us could take to pursue joy in the midst of the storm. And it's going to sound like I have an agenda with this action step. No agenda. And it's simply this. You need to begin meeting with another follower of Jesus every week for 45 minutes to one hour. Every single week, you need to be meeting with a follower of Jesus for 45 minutes to one hour. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, another church program. I don't have time to commit to something. You need to think of it this way. All of us eat breakfast, we eat lunch, we eat supper. You need to pick one of those things, and you need to have that with someone else. This is discipleship at the heart of what Jesus wanted. So Jesus came to what? Make disciples. How did he make disciples? He spent time with 12 people. And sometimes he spent time with 
three more than the twelve. Well, the master plan of discipleship is simply time with one another. If you want to start taking your faith seriously and you want to start maybe experiencing some of these promises of God, you've got to take this step of regular practice. And the best way to do that is find another follower of Jesus and disciple one another, help one another. So it very simply can look like this. You get together, you have a time of sharing what's going on in life. You have a time of prayer. I'm going to pray for those things. And then you surround it all with God's word. You read one passage of scripture together. What is this saying to you? What is this revealing? How does this apply to our lives? You pray that you'd be able to live it out together and you go forth. See, this is so important to do consistently because you can't predict when the bad times are going to come. So if you start to do this consistently now, guess what? When the bad times come, you've got a built-in partner. When the bad times come and you get into the forest and you can't see the right tree, you've got a built-in person that can say, the tree's right here. And this is not just some idea, oh, Rich has come up with this crazy idea. No. Why do you think all throughout history, Christianity in different places has had this practice of praying three times a day and gathering at the temple on a regular basis? Do you think some people just got together and like, hey, I got a good idea, let's try this new program? No, it's because God instituted it. So if you read the Old Testament, what you see is you see a command to gather regularly with God's people. And regularly is not once a week. They were praying together regularly, daily sometimes. In the book of Acts, they were meeting together daily in each other's homes. We need this because we need people to walk alongside of us and people need us to walk alongside of them. So this morning, would you find another person and begin to start to meet together regularly? How many of you have ever left church really excited before and feeling really good about God's love? Some of you. Okay, we've done our job sometimes. Most of us have had a Christian experience like this. Oh, I'm on fire for God. God loves the world, and I'm going to do great stuff for God. Oh, I know I need to get back involved in church, Pastor. We need to get things straightened back out. Oh, great service today. We love God again. Thanks for the great message. Back and it's like this. When the reality of what Jesus desires as disciples is a walk with him. That's why there's this word called abide in Christ in John chapter 15. When Jesus has given his five final commands, he says, abide in me as I abide in you, that we would walk consistently with God. The best way for you today to begin to experience that consistent spiritual life is for you to start doing this on a week-to-week basis with another follower of Jesus. So today, I really want to encourage you. Some of you are like, I don't even know where to begin. And that's okay. Because you might get together for lunch, and if you don't have a plan, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get together for lunch, and the first time you're going to kind of talk, and it's going to go okay. And then you're going to talk about sports for a half an hour. You're going to talk about the latest hairstyle for a half an hour. I know how this works. This is what happens. So you do have to have a plan. I would encourage you today, there's a little book I use. It's called A Guide to Prayer for All Who Seek God. It's published by this thing called Upper Room Books. It's a simple resource. It lays out what you could call almost a very simple worship service for an individual or two people to do together. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, way too much structure. Don't worry, there's a different saying each day. So you're not saying the same thing every week. But it gives you some structure to go through So that as you're kind of going through those down times, you don't have to think about what you're going to do when you get together. You just follow through the process 
and you let God's word do its work. So I'd really encourage you. This is nothing magical to this. I use this because it's time-tested. People all around the world have used this setup, and it's been used for a long, long time. I'd encourage you to do the exact same thing. So the first five people today that can put a Facebook post on my wall. Now, some of you are like, Facebook, what's that? Think, that's okay. This is for the younger people then. Think, the first five people that can put a post on my Facebook wall that says something about the message today. It can just be anything about the message today. It could be, horrible job. Please go back to the normal way. But appreciate if it was something, you know, hey, you said this or you said that. First five people that post on my wall will get a free copy of this this next week, okay? So you can get out your phones now. It's okay. I said we're changing, right? <laughs> we're changing. So if you're learning something, you can post on Facebook. You'll get a free copy of this, the first five that do that. And this is the reason. It's so important. This is it right here. This is where the rubber meets the road. I, I personally guarantee you, I haven't talked to the treasurer about this, but you can have your offering back for the whole last year if you do this for six months and nothing happens and it's a waste of your time. Come and get your offering and go somewhere else. That's completely fine. I guarantee this type of discipline and this type of regularity will change your spiritual life. The question is, are you willing to take a step of faith and say, I'll open myself to someone else? This morning, all of us are going to hear from some point from the principal's office. We know what's coming. Some of us are hearing from the principal's office right now. The question is, as we hear that, are we going to live with the restlessness, the stress, and move into depression? Or are we going to live with that voice, which we know is going to come, but we're going to be like that child who's content with their mother? This morning, we can pursue that contentment by remembering the source, focusing on the source, and going through a healthy process. Psalm 131, if you still have your Bible open there, just ask you look back at Psalm 131 that we started with today. Psalm 131, he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. There's a lot of power in this verse right here. One of the questions I was asked after last Sunday was, how do we know when God initiated bad stuff and when bad stuff happened outside of God? But there's not a good answer to that. Sometimes we're not going to know if it's a trial from God or if it's a trial from Satan. But the psalmist is really wise here. The psalmist is basically saying, I'm not going to worry about that because it's too weighty for me, for I'm just a creature. There's a creator who knows better. So really what the psalmist is saying here is, hey, I'm going to stop being king, let someone else be king. And then that's when he describes this picture of the young baby with their mother. And then he finishes the psalm by saying what? Put your hope in the Lord, O Israel. So the psalm is, is basically saying this. This is what I've done and experienced. Now, Israel, do the same thing, or people of God, do the exact same thing. 
Pastor John Piper summarizes it by saying this, renounce all self-reliance, self-exaltation, and self-rule, and find your calm, quiet, deep soul contentment in God. It's exactly what the psalmist is saying today. The psalmist is saying, stop saying you are God and you can understand God. And rather, put yourself in the position of creature and look to the source of joy, God himself. This morning, will you step off the throne for a little while? Because when we step off the throne for a little while, we put the right one on the throne, the one who is the source of contentment and joy. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that you promise that those who mourn will be comforted. And right now, God, we pray for those in our midst who are mourning. We pray for those in our midst who are not doing well. God, we ask that you would open up a relationship for them to express it. And we pray that you'd fill this room with a spirit of honesty. We also pray, Lord, that you'd fill this room with a spirit of partnership. God, I pray right now for your Holy Spirit to come and place a name on each person's heart and mind in this room. Place a name on their heart and mind that they can meet with weekly. God, do a miracle here amongst us today. God, we thank you and we praise you for your patience and your kindness. God, we acknowledge that we don't understand why all this bad stuff. And we acknowledge that oftentimes we struggle. Thank you for accepting us in our struggle. God, right now we ask for your supernatural joy and contentment from you alone. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are next to us each day. Thank you for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.